Welcome to the 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast, a retrospective. Hey folks, DJ here. I just want to take some time to talk about Werewolf the Apocalypse Retaliation by Flyles Games. This soon-to-launch game is brought to you by the same team that's bringing you Vampire the Masquerade chapters, and they just released a trailer to go along with it. We at 25 invite you to check it out at werewolfthepocalypse-retaliation.com to catch a peek at the trailer and be updated of when it'll appear on Kickstarter, which seems to be early 2022. The game promises to have everything that made chapters endearing to us, the fans, including scenarios, investigations, beautiful miniatures, and more. With that, thanks for your time. All right, folks, welcome back uh, to Werewolf as we now are going to dive into Axis Monday. How you doing, Nick? Not too bad. How you doing? Doing fantastic. This book right here, um, no pressure. This is the foundational book for what the spirit world is and what it's supposed to be uh, for Werewolf. And I got to tell you, um, there were some interesting things about this book that come to light immediately uh, that we're going to get into. But I think first and foremost, I'm going to ask that everybody kind of, you're going to have to kind of throw out this era's way of thinking on a lot of stuff. There's, there's a lot of controversy related to the first Ed books that we review and bring it forward and folks are looking for anything to really kind of burn down. And you got to remember the era a book was written in. You simply do. Otherwise, you're cruising for an argument. Social climate was different. Things that mattered were different. And it's definitely things that matter now are a progression from what it was. So a lot of mistakes might have been made back then to now. And why I say it is because this book has, I'm going to say it. Someone told me this book could be insensitive to Native Americans, that it feels like it's cultural appropriation, is what it was said in a lot of it, because they don't think a Native American was consulted to do this, and I have two minds of it. One, I started to research to, to like go to, to go to bat to defend the writers of this, and then I stopped. I'm going to tell you why. This is a book of fiction. I'm going to state that gently. It's a book of fiction. To me, we're reviewing a book for its entertainment value. Nothing in here is claimed to be historically accurate, correct, or to go teach a class or to teach the history of anything that happened. Why I say that? I could see where you got misguided when you read this, willy-nilly, where you want to jump in and just kind of test the water. Problem is, if you haven't been following Werewolf the Apocalypse and understand what the base story was and what they had going on to all the previous books we've already reviewed up to this point, you're going to miss some things, some key things and terminology brought up, and context is off. But it's all still fiction, all of it. And so I'm going to ask you put that neutrality there where you're like, you know what? I won't judge it based on that. Because a lot of people now, you guys listen to us and you're looking to see why should we care about Werewolf? I think it's because the passion this book specifically was written in is what I want to pay attention to more than anything else. Now, that said, what are we talking about when we say passion? And with that, I'm going to turn over to Nick to talk about that, that first story. Because this story, just let everybody know... We can't skip the intro because it's the basis for the rest of the book. This story kind of goes about, uh, you know, uh, a young Native American gentleman returning back to the reservation from his time out in New York. Um, went on to college, big city life. Um, in that time, he had, he had changed and became a guru. Um, but he didn't tell anybody back at home what had happened to him. Uh, he just met up with a Karen out there, met a beautiful lady named Mother Larissa. Um, she introduced him kind of into the ways of what being a guru was. And then and at some point, you know, kind of hinted maybe he should go back home and visit his people. Uh, so he does come back home and, and he finds his uncle 
sitting there waiting for him, uh, you know, kind of in one of those middle of the night, like, hey, we've got to go on a on a journey to uh, to the rock thing. And, you know, he rolls his eyes like, oh, what is, what is this about? I thought I was past all this stuff. You know, I'm a guru now. I don't need to deal with this kind of stuff. You know, and, and and his dad, you know, not sticking up for him and just telling him he's got to respect his elders. He, he decides he's, he's going to go with his uncle on this, on this, I, I guess, wild goose chase um, up a hill. And he goes with him and, and he's hiking up the hill. And and eventually they, they come to a rock that uh, that his uncle tells him is a sacred rock. And uh, and obviously the, the skepticism inside uh the the young cub is uh is pretty obvious because you know up, up until this point he's pretty sure that he's aware of a world that nobody else is and uh you know and while his uncle's you know up there like breaking out a peace pipe like he's gonna smoke to the spirits uh, the the cub is thinking to himself smugly well yeah I I mean you play it spirits but I've seen them you know they're they're real I'm not just you know uh, just uh give, paying homage to the spirits like I've I've talked to him I'm a theurge now. I've been told this, you know, and the uncle, the uncle passes the pipe to him and suddenly his eyes are blown wide open uh, because it becomes quite apparent that his uncle is not just an uncle, but his uncle is also a guru. And the two of them uh, then travel into the Umbra and that's where they start to get their initiation into, into what it means to be, uh, you know, a, a theurge according to their culture. And, uh, and so while the, uh, while the cub is there, he, he seemingly comes to, um, not quite sure how long he's been out, you know, almost like, uh, like uncle's uncle's grass was a little bit better than it ought to be. And, uh, and, and suddenly he just wakes up and he's like, well, how long have I been here? Where is everybody? There's no one around. And he starts on his journey and immediately he's, uh, he's kind of attacked by a rabbit. You know, he like catches him off balance and he's like, oh, and then the little rabbit like kind of bounces on his chest and he's like, I got him. Let's get him. And suddenly, seemingly out of nowhere, all these other creatures come and storm him and start eating him. And uh, and I mean eating him. Um, he starts to shift into Krinos and the rabbit burrows itself into his chest because it really wants the liver. That's like the most important part for the rabbit. And, you know, and you know eventually he uh, he's consumed and he comes back too and uh and he he realizes he must have regenerated all the parts that had been chewed out of him are are gone and now he's uh he's back to kind of laying there no one around but he's but he's figured out that he's been attacked by these spirits and he could hear them uh talking to each other and uh and and you know and what they were saying to him but he also realizes he has his ravenous hunger about him and uh, and you know his, his wolf senses key him to a a, a deer uh, just out of the way um, that you know he quickly uh, takes advantage of and uh, and pounces on it and and takes his meal and uh, as he uh, as he kills it he he sees the deer as they are dying slowly and uh, and a, a bit of regret hits him and it's at that moment that his uh, his uncle was like no no. This deer's purpose was was to you know give you its energy. Don't prolong its suffering. Um, you know this is this is yours. It's offered itself to you. Be respectful. Take it and and serve both of your purposes. And uh, and that's kind of what he does. 
and uh, and his uncle kind of initiates him into this this idea. You know, calls him the young hunter and uh, and, and things like that. You know, and you know it becomes obvious that the two of them are guru. And uh, and the uncle says, you know, hey, you smoked up all my good herb. Could you go get me some uh, some of these mushrooms that are you know up on the hill? They're they're by a rock. You'll see what I'm talking about. And uh, you know, and he carries on, and and the two separate as the as the young cub goes up to the hill, and he sees the rock, and and then he he identifies where what what he was told was a was a cavern uh, where these mushrooms would be, but it's just a tiny hole, maybe big enough for a fist to fit through, but nowhere near what he would be able to fit through. But it's at that moment that he discovers a mouse, and uh, and the mouse, you know. Th- begins to kind of talk to him and say, hey, yeah, I, I know you're after these mushrooms. And uh, I tell you what, if, if we switch bodies, you can go in there and you get the mushrooms and then, you know, and, and then I can be in your body and, you know, and and everything will be awesome. You know, you can fit right in there and get the mushrooms. And the guy's like, wait, whoa, wait a minute. What are you going to do with my body? And he's like, you don't understand. I'm just a tiny mouse. Like if I had your your body for like 10 minutes, I could get a year's worth of food. It wouldn't even be a problem for me. And he was like, oh, all right. Well, skeptically, the cub agrees, you know, and the two of them switch bodies. Um, and he, he burrows into the cavern and, and gets his mushrooms and tiny little bites that he can. And uh, and as he's doing that, he fumbles around and he's outside. And seemingly from nowhere, an owl pounces on him uh, and, and you know, pulls him up um, in its talons and drops him down the ground, crushes his body and and eats him. And uh and he comes back to and realizes that he's been he's been picked clean by the owl. He's nothing but a mouse skeleton at this point. And uh and he sees the mouse in his body come come up and say, Hey, I'm here, where are you? You know, and, and he's he's embarrassed to kinda of call out, uh you know, here I am. I I'm over here. I'm sorry what I've done. Like he's really worried that the mouse is not gonna want to switch bodies back with him, and why would it? And, uh, but eventually he, uh, he convinces the mouse that, uh, that's a worthwhile effort. And the two of them switch bodies back and, and he carries on the mushroom back home. You know, the, uh, the mouse anxious to discover what it's like to be dead. And, uh, and he, uh, he goes back with his uncle and kind of like explains to his uncle what happened. And his uncle's like, wow, you know, that's, that's like a lot. You sure that really happened? You know, kind of like, I don't know how good your journey was, but way better than my journey. And, and they eventually go back on to, uh, to go into a cairn. And, uh, and the uncle, uh, you know, brings them to sit down. And that's kind of how the story continues on in, in the later chapters. And that's a lot of the, a lot of the, the majority of, of what occurs. I want to touch up on some points. It was because they're very important that we nail those right, right? Uh, the guy's name is Little John Fox. He's a young theurge. And where he's at to is a reservation. That's what they more or less paint the picture of coming back. They don't directly call that. I think it's good writing that the author doesn't say, hey, welcome to this such and such reservation. Instead, they describe a life that was on it, right? You have an uncle who is used to being called uncle. And uh, little John Fox always assumed this guy's a fake shaman. He just says that. He says fake shaman because he knows what a shaman is because he's a theurge and he's a guru. He also makes the assumption his uncle is a kinfolk. This whole time, right? Even as they're walking up to this, 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 uh, trouble to get to through the snow, frozen atmosphere, like pride rock that sits at the top here. And 
when they're explaining this, what I enjoy about it the most is that the uncle is like kind of bent over and he has his walking stick and he's just, for all he's worth, he's just going up this hill, right? At least as I recall. And, uh, but I do know it's arduous for him, right? But here's this guy yelling at him that, you know, we could have just sat in a truck. He could have told me what you wanted to see, keep the heat on, what's going on. And he even makes comments to him about the fact that, you know, you were raised wrong. We brought you up here. You should have been told about our ways a long time ago. And you weren't. We let you do that nonsense with those young warriors and the res as you thought and you were hanging out with them and they were robbing and they were stealing from people they were committing bad works and that's how you thought to get by and you said hey uncle it wasn't like that you know they did what they could to make the money that they needed and they were left no choice and if their choice is steal or to starve well we know what we chose and that was that and he was like basically let that argument die like that's that's just the disagreement between generations there and then as they get up higher the importance of the weed or whatever it was. When he pulls it out, he makes the assumption it's weed. And it's definitely not a peace pipe. It's not what they refer to it as. He doesn't just bring that out. There's other like colored stones and some other things that he lays out in front. And we don't know exactly what their importance because we're from little John Fox's perspective. All he knows, they put in multiple colors of some plant and he lights it up. And he's thinking to himself, all right, I'm gonna go through these motions. Like you're fake shaman it up, great. Tell me what's going on. I got to respect my elders, so I'm here. And an uncle, as he's referred to, even comments to him that's good at least that lesson stuck. Showing respect for your elders. This is important. A theme in this story is about respecting the elders. And that's the youth on a reservation in, in the grandfather traditionalist type link that you can see there. Why it's important has relevance. This is my way of thinking that it feels right. Now, I want to point this out because I, I watched a breakdown of somebody kind of having an episode relating to this specific story, saying it's very Anglo and how dare they. And I said to myself, well, this is no worse than what you've seen in Hollywood. And I really don't see the problem here so far. Right. It's a good story. Some very interesting points they're bringing up. But no one mentioned factual anything. Right. It's a story to immerse you in it. And I think it teaches that because it's about a young werewolf being impetuous who believes he knows everything about being a theurge because he's gone through his rite of passage. In other words, it represents any player to this point who is a theurge. They all get this way. Don't we all? Everybody. I played werewolf. Nick, you have. Haven't you felt that, okay, I'm a theurge past my rite of passage. Now I'm ready to take on all sorts of stuff. I'm ready. Hopefully. It's a no yeah, hopefully, right, is the thing. And with that confidence, this is going, well, there's stuff you can be taught. And to me, a wise storyteller gets that old guy to take you up and kind of a handing the torch moment. That's what it feels like Uncle wants to do. And when he takes him up to this rock and he smokes this concoction, whatever it is, this mix, he's hit instantly. And when he gets hit, things are brighter, things look strange and what have you. And he doesn't even recognize he sidestepped yet. Has no idea. He's just up there and suddenly he just, he just can't see his uncle anymore. And then much as Nick described the animals attacking him, they do. But it's important what animals attack him, right? It is the rabbit, but the rest of them aren't herd animals of the forest. That's the important thing. They're all herd animals. And the significance of this is important. It's impactful. The spirits have to devour the guru and have to devour the, the guru theurge in order for him to understand why it is they give up their life for him, right? This is symbiosis. It's understanding what they go through. And this gives you strength so, you know, you appreciate it. So you're not just running around willy-nilly killing animals for that callous feel, right? The assumption of going to a grocery store and seeing all the dead meat wrapped up may get used, may not. That's not the way, right? That's what they're trying to point out here. It's not to waste. It's not to excess. 
but you need to know what the prey animals go through to know that it's meaningful. And so they rip them apart. And it doesn't matter that his guru, Krinos heritage, tries to come through. They still feast on him. And, you know, that, I like that comment where the rabbit goes, oh, yeah, my favorite part, the liver. And he's digging in. Let you know how painful it is because this guy wakes in the ground like, man, that sucked. Like, what did I smoke, right? And why it's cool is because as he's sitting there chilling for a minute, he's overcome with a hunger. Well, why? He even goes to that insight. I just had to regenerate a whole bunch of damage. It makes sense I'm starving. This is important, right? They didn't just do it to do it. It's so that he is hungry enough to, like Nick said, track the deer, find the deer, go to get the deer. But his uncle was angry. But in a, he was more stern to anger. Not angry at him, but when he does the, what comes natural, right? The wolf hunts, the wolf gets, the wolf has the deer. He notices the pity. He pities the deer. He sees the sadness in the deer's eyes, and his uncle tells him, don't you dare. Don't you dare. You finish what you started. This is important, just what Nick said. But why I want to put that polish on it? Because that is meaningful and purposeful. It's about sacrifice, right? It's that the herd animals understand they were put here to be fed upon. However, the spiritual half of this is you're in the umbra hunting down that deer and you're honoring it because you are taking of it to add to you and your strength is needed to do what the guru are here to do. And it's a pure way. No waste, that sort of thing. And that's what they're kind of communicating. Well, I won't even say kind of. To me, that's exactly what they communicate in the story. We ate of you to grow strong and now you eat one of us and this is how this circle of life goes. And to make it go is to understand and be a part of it. However, later on when he talks about the mushrooms, this is where Nick, myself, and I'm probably even little John Fox goes, there's something up with my uncle. <laughs> Wait a second. You want me to go get you some mushrooms? I just went through some crazy shit. Like, what, what's going on? And just like Nick said, here comes this mouse over by a hole. And his uncle's nowhere to be found suddenly. Right? And he's like, all right, great. Uh, let's make a deal. What they're outlining here is, is something called chiminage. It's an aspect here. It's a term you're going to hear in this book quite a bit where it talks about... I honor and respect you, spirit, in the hopes that you can help me. And in return, I will do something for you. And that's chiminage, right? This is very important between a theurge and a spirit. Deals are made. A pact is struck. Well, maybe not a pact in the sense later on we'll here too. But at least this deal making is honorable in chiminage. And so the mouse says, let's swap bodies. And the reason being is because the mouse tells him, I can get a lot more food in your body in like five minutes than I ever could. In my little body, do whatever type thing. It's something like that he relates it to. And he's like, it makes sense. I'm going to sneak in this hole, get these shrooms. But then he has to chew the shrooms, right? Yeah, and it's like he- not even, it's not even guess. Like he he figures out the hard way that this this mouse is no bullshit, right? Because he's got a mouthful by mouthful, take tiny chunks of the mushroom up there just to get what could be an easy pluck. And it's, it's a problem for him, right? Because he has to get enough to put in his pocket and he has to chew him bit by bit. And kind of, well, not kind of, he gets to know the struggle of being a mouse. And when he thinks about, I'll just run to the edge of the forest where he saw the mouse run off with his body to catch up with him, it's huge. Footsteps to a human are freaking, you know, fields, football fields to a, to a mouse, right? And as he goes to go there, he doesn't think like a mouse. So the owl gets him. And his uncle says something very cruel because the owl just doesn't get him. Right, he brings him in the air and crushes him, drops him like Nick said. He feeds from him and plucks his body through. He also feels for a bit what it's like to go through the animal's intestinal tract, like partial digestion, before he blacks out. And then he wakes as the bone, seeing that he was pooped out, and the owl's somewhere nearby still. But the owl no longer cares about him because he served his purpose. And it's here that you're wondering, like, what, where is this lesson? What goes on? 
And later on, his, when he tells his uncle this in the truck, when he gets that story on, his uncle tells him, I'll take it easy on you. And then suddenly, just that little mystery right there, what did he do? You know, I thought I'll take it easy on him because he spared him the pain of understanding death. Right? Because the mouse, mouse didn't die. He wasn't completely gone. And maybe there's a mystery to it. That that's what it would have been. Almost as if his uncle was saying, you know, typically an owl might have just ate you and that would have been that. Your journey ends there. Mouse got your body. That's the deal. Because the deal that they struck was that he would get his whole body back. But the Theurge didn't have the patience to wait by the hole where the mouse said he would be safe. And just hang out. And I'll come back with your body. Because it had been far too long that he didn't have his body back. And he didn't trust the spirit. So we learn here, a Theurge has to trust the spirits he makes a deal with. You know, that spirit said, hey, I'll be back. Let me go do my thing. You do your thing. And then we'll swap back. No problem. But he finds problems because he couldn't be patient, which is interesting considering after all he has been through up to this point. But sometimes people learn lessons hard. And that story also uh, has an interesting part in there where uh, little John Fox is trying to talk to his uncle about what he might be or trying to guess what it is. And his uncle just offers up the info that you assume that kinfolk don't have a purpose. You assume we don't know the ways. But we come up here, we we know these ancient ways and customs, and we have our purpose and our need, and we're not just breeders, right? We have a way, and you should learn to respect that, and elders and elders and elder type thing. And little John Fox sees the wisdom in it. Because at this point, still not 100%. However... And why I say this, because the way they write that, it kind of shows that. Because when he comes out of the Umbra and sidesteps by the truck, he's like, great, hop in, turn up the heat, let's go. And you're thinking to yourself, that's it. But as Nick said, it already reveals there's more to the story as he kind of rolls up to an actual official moot. And uh, that's where we kind of take this. But the takeaways here is the purpose of Chiminage, right? That's what that story is all about to me. It's showcasing that, and yes, honor the elders and the traditions and whatnot, as previous said, but it, it's it's a hallmark. A lot of players think playing a theurge is just, I know the Umbra, take the lore, storyteller will fill me in on what I need to know. And they will. But if you can't understand what the purpose of the relationship between the theurge and the spirits is going to be, and why a chiminage is needed, you're, you're going to get lost in it. Because they constantly refer to this concept because it's based on animism. And when- Yeah, man. It, it's time and time again that you see a player... Uh, you know, who's who's playing a theurge? Um, look through the look through the book and 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 view Chiminage as just kind of like a transaction. Like ah, yeah, uh, okay, I I'm gonna beckon on Falcon to grant us the wisdom to see us through this situation, and then they get done. They're like, all right, Falcon, like, what do you want? Uh, like, uh, can I give you thirty gold? Like, like toss a coin to your Witcher now that he's <laughs> helped you out. You know, it, it's like the general mentality that your that your players have about it. Like, ah, oh, it's just a service you can call on. There's no talk about the relationship that's forged between a spirit and the guru that you know that they work with. And let's talk about how powerful it is to not 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 go any further than that as a storyteller. You're very tempted to do it. In the base book, it kind of tells you about spirits and it gives you a stat block on what they're like. But as far as that relationship, that's what this book does. It goes in deep to fill you in. Well, let me say that. It it goes to entertain you to explain the concepts of how this works. For instance, when I talk about animism, it's a pretty smart intro of animism relating to the author. 
as they have it in there and how they feel it is and how they want to ham- hammer home some of the points to it. And if you don't know what animism is, it's basically the belief that there's a supernatural force that gives spirit to all things, that everything has a spirit attached to it and spirits are everywhere, and that the energy doesn't die just because the body does, that there's a separate matter and then there is a spirit world. And that's very critical to Werewolf the Apocalypse and really quite a few games in the, the World of Darkness genre. And and with that said, Axis Monday is all about being a shaman. It truly is. This this book, its its basis is about the uh, the study of it, right? Uh, the term Axis Monday is the shamanism itself, and it basically has this belief that there's a ritual center of the world, as he says in the shamanic uh, ceremony. In other words, I'm going to dumb it down. There's a very highfalutin way he puts it, but I'm putting Bob speak. It's that <laughs> in your mind's eye, you have to go to the point where the world wasn't anything and imagine it unraveling to become something. And you're at that point just, bef- just before it becomes everything and all things where they were all as one. And in that thought, as you're kind of meditating on it, you find yourself able to hold the energy necessary to sidestep. It's like, all you know- Shangri-La, baby. Exactly. You know that secret. And so you're able to go across and, but you have to be special, don't you? And that's what it is. And what makes you special? Well, you're a werewolf and it's innate or any of the other shape changing breeds that could do the same, or you're a mage and you have a spirit sphere. However it works, that's the deal. Now it's not just that though, with that understanding that the world tree is a thing and you're a shaman and you're in it, the relationships that you have based on this animistic shamanistic approach, they're everything. And, And to that end, Nick, what's your thoughts on this? When they talk about the spirit section and they were giving you that that pitch about what spirits are, did you feel you understood them better or were you like looking for more? Um I I, I don't I don't think you can read that and and not come out with with something more. Like even if you have a solid understanding with spirits, when you go back and you read something, you're always going to pull something a little bit extra. Uh the the main takeaway from this is that at least for me, was that, uh, I mean, the relationships with, that, that they have with spirits, kind of like how we were touching on, it's like probably the biggest failing you ever get in a chronicle. And, uh, and, and how those spirits interact with the crew and how that, that becomes a bit of a oneness. So, I mean, it's that understanding that, uh, you know, they're not just manna for you to tap to fuel your wisdom. Uh, there's a reason why they're called gifts, because they're, they're, they're gifted to you. Like, uh even when you look at a thing like your totem gives you plus three to a skill. Um, the most foolish way to look at that is that you just get plus three to your die roll. More, more or less, it should be, you should be approaching that as a storyteller, as a, as a way uh, for like, even if it's like, uh, you know, you gain like the eyes of the Falcon to help with your perception or, or whatever it is um, when you're trying to do that. Sure. You get the plus three to your roll, but make it more than that. Otherwise it's just dead and empty. That's correct. Um, description, right? There's a there's a thing they started doing where they start talking about what a storyteller is there for. A storyteller is not there to run the module. You're not there to just, here's my story I have. What are you guys going to do in it? Like a sandbox. A storyteller is there to immerse the player in their character, right? That's really what you're there for, to help that player feel that they are that character in a story, a story you tether them to. Right. So in this, the player reserves the right to kind of change the story itself or to showcase their personal uh, pursuits 
within the story. And that's what it's there for. And your hope is you do your job well enough, it's attached with the player and it goes with them. And it's fun. But that's also part of the fun and the challenge of being an ST, is that you're along for that ride. And that's great. But exactly what he said about the eagle eyes and sharing, and it could, you know, the difference between the mechanics and the immersion story, you got to have both, right? The player needs to be able to see why I have it and the benefit, but the storyteller shows them you do have that benefit and so much more. And this makes them feel powerful. And even more so, it enables that player to take that, that knowledge, that experience, and carry that with them now to every werewolf game they go to. Um, Because suddenly the world has been opened up with how spirits interact with their guru and everything can make more sense. How they simply perceive the way that they would even search for a spirit changes based on those tiny bits of perception, how you immerse them in that. It no longer becomes an, I'm going to go on an Ashling. I'm going to find a spirit. Okay, how do we do that? Well, on such and such page of such and such book, it says Ashlings are performed in this particular way. First, we have to do a right. And what does that right look like? Ah, let's just roll it. Uh, all that stuff goes to the wayside because suddenly your player has a mental perspective on how those interactions should go. And they are they come to the table prepared to speak and pattern those things specifically to the spirits they want to talk to. They build that relationship. There's there's a lot to that. But the, the question of what are spirits, I love how they get into this, right? And it's because you're trying to build a basis for it. It's a very hard thing to do without being philosophical. Uh, you know, certainly spirits can be different to anybody who has to answer that question. But as defined by this book, they're children of Gaia whom have been stripped of their bodies. But they are also children of Gaia who never had bodies to begin with. This is an animism, right? Everything has a spirit, even that which does not have spirit first will have a purpose, right? And thus be a spirit considered. In other words, um, children of Gaia whom have never had bodies to begin with, this could be an elemental spirit, Right? It's the elemental spirit of flame and exists of fire, if you will. It could be magma spirit servant, things of that nature. That's possible, but it never had a quote-unquote body, as it said, i.e. they could be awakened, right? You can go to something that is dormant, have the energy be something that can make that be more than what it is. And it may also even, uh, yeah, it may also help you to, uh, to be... To, to view it as them being soulful to a bit, almost like like they have a soul, a presence, and uh, you know it, a, a personality uh, to kind of what they are. Like you can look at a tree and be like, that tree is alive, but ultimately that means nothing to you. Uh, you know, like vegan or not, you know that that tree is alive, but I don't care. Uh, but if you view it as having its own soul, its own entity, its own personality, and you just don't know how to speak to it, that's an entirely different way of viewing it. Here's the thing, though, and why I would say I, that that's how Nick says it. I'm not saying he's wrong or anybody who <laughs> thinks that's easy. When you say soul, though, you're referring to a religious connotation. And why that could be confusing, a lot of people hear soul, they think Christianity. And it's going to definitely get confusing when you think to the idea of a fetish or the concept that I could you do a right and make something that was dormant, didn't have a spiritual representation before, suddenly has, and that I can awaken the spirit for that. It's possible in this animistic beliefs, and it's more than beliefs, right? For werewolf, this is what it is. It's not necessarily a belief system. It is what they say is going on. Now, I say it like that because that's how they deliver it. But they also throw in a curveball. 
Mage, the Ascension's mentioned in here. And they talk about how mages do not see it the same. Now, they don't, it's not completely different, but they are more, I would say, book written, more rote about their approach to it, how they see it. They have a better handle on it. The emotion's not as high for them. And I'm, it'll explain more later. But to kind of just finish that spirit point, I just want to put that little Easter egg there for a minute. Um, they talk about what happened to the spirits, right? A gauntlet rises and divides matter and spirit. They get separated. And suddenly the spirits realize how important things are, right? They need that, that matter world, uh, the real world. And the real world needs to honor the spirits because they need stuff in them too. And gives a basis for a symbiosis. And they explain that too. But the simple point is, is that it establishes man as sort of a dominant force of being, right? The world was divided, but it's, it's kind of like saying reality is over here and the spirit world's over there. And they give dominion to, to man. Man's the one that sits there. Because when that division happens, they talk about all that was goes behind this wall, but we leave mankind over here. Now, why? And to me, I sat there and went, this really sounds like there's a possibility here that there is something to this Garden of Eden theory. And I want you to keep that in mind as you get to the actual origin uh, that we're going to touch a little bit on the history of spirits in and of themselves, right? Because um, spirits come in many forms, this book points out, but what it says, we're going to focus on the Gaian ones. That's it. The Gaian ones are the most important in this book because referring to those that, you know, basically are affinity to her. This is what she has, and those are those primordial forces, those earthen spirits, nature spirits, that type of spirit, and they're all throughout this book. There are a ton of them in here, which are very cool to read about. A lot of love went into it. And I think they're still, I think they're timeless. They very much can work to this very day. In fact, um, it's good to have this book for that. However, they also tether an important thing. If you were wondering what the apocalypse is really doing, and if there's an engage for it, they highlight that spirits are dying is what is going on. There is a spirit world, but you have many things that are going against them. First and foremost, there's a dormant state that spirits can fall into. As they're not worshipped anymore, they're not called on anymore, chimneys isn't given, sacrifice isn't given uh, to what they need, spirits tend to be forgotten. And when they're forgotten, they fall into what's called a slumber. Now, the weaver, which we've talked about before, which is why I'm advancing this a little bit, because it'll make more sense to keep in your head, the weaver's web, going around and doing that, well... We all have interpretations as werewolf, but the important part is, is that the spirits are being calcified into the webbing itself. If you're in it matter sitting there not doing anything, they simply kind of pave the road over you. And that's that. And the gauntlet grows ever stronger. And it ties into when that particular era gets, gets even stronger for the gauntlet. But more importantly, that's the fate of a spirit unless the worm gets a hold of you. The worm possesses the ability to corrupt a spirit, like basically devour it and repurpose it. So imagine if the worm was out in that story with Mouse, and when it ate the mouse, it completely changed its purpose when it, when it released it, shat it out into its own purposes in that regard. That's interesting, because that was not the worm's purpose. That was not originally what it was meant to do. Now, we're going to learn about that the same as little John Fox. So why I'm throwing that up there is because to me, the cohesive thought in learning what a spirit is, is to learn why a spirit needs anybody. Right To say that they need man because they need him to be friendly and help and whatever, that's not good enough. But if you learn that the spirits are basically fighting a losing battle, because the more they die off and the more go away, the, the stronger the gauntlet gets, the more the werewolves aren't going to be empowered. They're not going to have the spirits to fight off the worm. And the worm is the one hunting them. Like, make no mistake, adding to its armies to swallow all there is. And that's what's going on, and the werewolves are fighting against that. However, 
Hard time and hard luck fighting against them when the worm is also corrupting mankind. Now, remember that seed. When we separated the world, why is it mankind was left to its own devices and everything else went behind the wall? The gauntlet, if you will. It's interesting. But what may answer that is when you start looking at uh, the whole purpose of the spirits that they go into here is that they're to represent the myriad children of Gaia that she brought into this world. Now, the history is pretty interesting. Talk about there's a void. Nothing. Right? And where they get this story at, I should probably say that. We mentioned Little John Fox. We're to make this real simple. Little John Fox goes to a moot and sits down. And there's a whole little elder story throughout the book where they do these introductions and relationships. I'm going to let you read that. But what I did was, what we did here is gut the conversational pieces to talk about what's here to use. And I think the important part, and there's a couple silly parts, but the important part is to understand that this is the first, like, this is what happened in the beginning that you're hearing from elders. And what they're telling little John Fox is there was a void, and then Gaia just decided to be birthed in the world. Now, this is interesting. So interesting. Because we know of one other being in a different religion that said, let there be light, don't we? Keep that thought. So when they say Gaia comes around and she bursts everything, the whole of existence is in chaos. Nothing has a name, right? It's just power. You can reinvent yourself. However powerful you are is what you are. You do what you do. Everything is going around, deciding what it'll be one moment to the next and changing its mind, but never limitations. And Gaia's just letting it happen. And then one day she's like, I want to go to sleep. So how about everybody come over here so I can assign you your name and your purpose? What's interesting about that isn't there a weaver that's supposed to do that, right? Doesn't a weaver, like, give names to everything? Yeah, yeah. So uh, there's, a, there's a big misconception that gets thrown here. The, the question is, why, why, why would Gaia name the spirits? Because there, there tends to be the idea that Gaia is the wild and that the weaver consumes her in the webs and the worm fights the destroyer, and that's why the guru fight. Um. If that's the case, why would Gaia feel the need to name the things? And the reason is because she's not the wild. She's an entity of all three, just as the Gru are. Exactly. That's that, that's that thing I was hinting at books ago when we did the review that we talked about, right? We were just like, this This what seems to make sense here. And this is what these elders are saying without having to say it. And I said to make it make sense to you because it's not directly said doesn't it make more sense that the guy had created a weaver to help her do this naming process? Right? If you have to do something complex on a computer, don't they have apps that are made that really help streamline the process and you use them and the app takes over? The, the like, the pedantic, <laughs> mundane... Cortana. Right? Exactly. They're supposed to <laughs> mix their own Cortana. And that's the weaver. Well, this makes sense, right? So in this analogy, use a little different. Guy is here. She's like, you know what? Let's silence this stuff. Let's get it. Let's give it a place and a purpose. Weaver, please. Weaver starts going through it. Everybody comes up to Gaia. What's your name? Your name is Dave. Dave does accounting. All right, Dave goes over here. Right? So on and so forth. She does it to everybody. Every human, every rock, bit of air, no matter what it is, everything is getting a name. Except for a specific group who heard that Gaia asked for them to show up and they flee into the deepest parts of the Umbra because they don't want to give up their power. They don't want to be confined. And they're considered wilder than the wild. They are unpredictability incarnate. And they can't exist in the real world anymore because the moment they, they come to the real world, Gaia will name them. 
It's instant. And so they'll never be here. But to encounter them uh, would be best to, what is it? One of the elders tells little John Fox, if you ever encounter one and none of us ever have, it's better that you die to bring it into the light of day so Gaia can name it than to continue letting it exist because it's a primordial and it deserves to be in service, right? It's an interesting belief there. But this talks about, it's like your first insight to what the weaver might've been like with everybody. But as it's going about kind of throwing down this, the here's the lay of the land and your power's not limited, they tell this comical story about how the guru come into being. And I kind of like it, right? Um, you got Coyote who shows up and Coyote walks in and gets in front of Guy and Guy goes, you're a Coyote. And Coyote goes, yeah, okay. He leaves, goes and takes the skin of a human. I do mean that. Someone's skinless now, Coyote doesn't care. He comes back wearing their skin and goes in front of Guy and Guy goes, oh, well, you're a human. And the Coyote comes out chuckling. He's like, ah, I got two skins. And then like, Shark hears them, and and the werewolves, and the wolf hears them, and you know all the shade and changing breeds here, and they all get mine. And crow, and you name it, all of them go in front. And guy is like, oh yeah, I guess you're here. There's a lot of new humans coming. <laughs> Until the crow keeps laughing, it can't stop laughing as it's in front of Gaia, and she's like, what's so funny? Like she's catching on now. In other words, Gaia's a little dumb, right? We're just <laughs> gonna put that there according to the story. She's a little stupid, right? How many times did she screw this up? And then Crow goes, look, look, look. We're all like. You know, we're really this, and this is what we did. She goes, oh, are you? Well, you'll never be satisfied. You're always going to be curious and want things. And then she kind of goes through this cursing like Cain did the vampires. Do you, you see that? And I was like, huh, that's interesting we went that route. And then I had to shake it out of my head, right? It's werewolf, not vampire. I could sometimes be, you know, Brandon in your faves there. But I said I like werewolf too. But why would you go this angle? Well, it makes sense, right? You have a group of people coming up and they got to screw up to show why they're given purpose and obviously go do that purpose. But immediately the elders start shitting on that idea, right? The other ones are ribbing them and said, come on, no one believes that story. You know, Gaia made us for our purpose, each and every one. However, I allow to bring this court again to the court of the tinfoil hat. Remember what I said, Gaia comes on scene and, and whatnot, and then something happens, as the elders tell them, and the gauntlet's made. We don't know what happened, but if you think about it, if the weaver's now naming people, we know the weaver creates the gauntlet, right? It seems that as chaos is being curbed and being named, the gauntlet is slowly being woven together. Another word for the gauntlet is reality, as the mages know it, right? That's, that's, that's reality, right? The enforcement there is being put into place as you get a name. There are rules saying what you can and cannot do. And to break them, obviously, paradox spirits, right? That's the thing. If you don't know what paradox spirits, they are mentioned in this book. Now, they talk about Gaian spirits are stagnant. They are what they are, and they don't change, right? A wolf spirit is a wolf is a wolf no matter what you do to it because that's its purpose. It doesn't change what it does. However, mages can name because they're humans that can name. And the elders tell them, you will find them, boy, and they exist. These are the humans who also have the power to name, and they do it with spheres, as we know. Now, what's interesting about that, when they mention paradox spirits, this doesn't come without a caveat. Even the werewolves know that when a mage chooses to mess with the reality, there is a, there's this consequence. They're birthing this paradox spirit that is formless. Initially, it appears to whatever that mage thinks it should look like. And they don't have a choice. It's not like the mage goes, uh, stay puff marshmallow man. And it comes walking in. It's like, you'll violate reality with this magic somehow. And this paradox spirit shows up and it's pulled from like your, your subconscious, which you would expect to be there. 
whether it's fear or any one of the other themes that that would show up for it, all very much based on context and story. But that's what the mages deal with. But the, the worlds know of them. And they sit there and say that, you know, basically those are dangerous, but you'll never run into them. Like, those aren't for you. But if you do, here's why you stand over here. Since we got our tinfoil hats on, let's just put them on, okay? Let's uh, let's just tighten them down. Let, let's put them on and let, let's keep it there, right? Got my so, because I was in the same place as you, right? That you know, at, at at every point, it gives you the 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 idea that humans are the chosen of the weaver, you know, and and always are they favored by the weaver, and it almost seems like it it points out that they have kind of like a divine spark in them, you know, the the humans are obviously separated to the side; they're a little bit different. Humans have almost their own innate ability to to do the naming. But it happens in the, in the idea of a shared consciousness, right? Like the sleepers determine their reality. Therefore, that reality, you know, is is the the divine spark given in, and, and obviously the power that we were blah 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 blah, all the way down the line. But that also means that at some point, really, humans, humanity as a whole, determines the reality of, of all the worlds. In, in kind of any essence. You ever wonder why a vampire burns in the sunlight? Maybe it's maybe it's not necessarily because, you know, they were cursed by God or whatever it is. Or maybe it's because there was an ultimate predator and the subconscious of humanity came together with a consensus that there must be a flaw or a way to, to work their way around it. And eventually, over generations with superstitions, it was built in and it became reality. Now, obviously, they can't go too far. They can't just dream something up. But they, within the confines of their rules, they definitely can. Now, let's understand the precedence here. We can look at Changeling, the dreaming. Right? You, the oldest war that they have down in print comes all the way back to the Tawatha Denan. And if we're going to wear this tinfoil hat, let's triple wrap. All right. And if you're, you're going to go back that far, we got to talk about a time when we believed, and not in faith terms, it simply was, all these other religions, including Druidic faith, pagan faith, the whole nine, pre-Christianity stuff. People believed in it. And in your World of Darkness books, talks about times raining in blood and curses were easy and magic was plenty. You know, when the oceans drink Atlantis, right? So on and so forth. So I want you to now take that into consideration and come back to Nate's, or Nick's point. I don't know why I said that, my bad. Nick's point. And Nick's solid point, rock solid, is where I'm at. Because here we have mages that do their dirt, but mages are basically, what's a human? It's a sleeper, has an awakening. And when they're awakened, we yep. call them mages. So this means they all have it. So right here we see where there's this origin story as to the importance of mages in a world of darkness, way more than we give credit a lot of times. Now, that said, what do the werewolves think of them? I mean, they went pretty simply. They're shamans. They're over there now. Right? It's that simple. Why did why did why would werewolves <laughs> consider them important? They don't. They got their own shit to worry about. Your mages are over there, and as long as they're copacetic, we're copacetic. Don't drain our cairns. Don't get in our way. We'll cross paths. We could be allies, but if you're not, we got more gifts than you. That's it. We'll show you how to end this. Now, that threat is not a subtle one, right? They're sent to mages. The werewolves are like a mixed bag, right? Savage beasts and all that, but don't take them lightly. And there are some mages who straight up know what they are. And they highlight that in this book. They go through traditions and how they see the nature spirits, Gaia, and the whole ideal. And there are, of course, mage traditions that are aces with werewolves because they know how to do the speech and the whole nine. 
not what this is about, though they do mention it in here for a page or two. But when we're back to this origin story and why I get a kick out of it, when Guy is done with the naming and she's tired, she decides she's going to take a nap. She wants to relax, <laughs> right? However, she, she's not a fool. She understands in the process of giving names, there's some particular wild children that are, that are stronger than others, and she needs to put people above them to keep them in line like any other family. And she creates the first of broods. Now, she makes the Incarna first, is what she does. She says, hey, the Incarna are the managers. They're in charge. There we go. And all these other <laughs> the, totems and whatnot. the managers. Right. They, they got the totems. They wear the daddy pants and or mommy pants, depending, and then probably both, to be fair. And then it's like, great. Now all the spirits that serve underneath them are going to be part of their brood. And they will know because like mine draws the like and purpose is the purpose. As the weaver as well, as Gaia has set out, as the book will say. We say the weaver had to be in there. Now the elders say the weaver had to be in there too. But they bring the weaver in on some old bullshit. There's no intro. They say, out of nowhere, there's a great scream heard in the world. As the gauntlet is formed, just Ricky Tech. That the weaver has been weaving the whole time. And she just gets out of control. And she just goes through and starts weaving things in the place and not caring or whatever. And man doesn't realize it as this great separation is going underway. However, when man sees that it's going on, they take advantage because they know the spirits need man to exist. Right? More aptly said, I believe it's the spirits need man to thrive. They need man to increase what they can do and to kind of go out there. But man need the spirits as well because they need them to live. In a lot of ways, not just knowing their lore and what goes on, secrets, stuff like that, ways of being. They also need them for protection because the worms are coming. Now, why is the worm suddenly coming? Well, because when the weaver went crazy and started acting out of, out of pocket and steps over the line, doing overtime with her work, the worm is actually a being of balance. He's, he's the one that comes around as a gatekeeper and says, hey, guy said no, you know, blows the whistle. It's adult swim time. All the kids out of the pool. That was the worm. So the worm is like kind of like a police asshole, right? He's well, doing his thing. Dude, I, I, we, we've all worked with that guy, right? There's <laughs> always that guy that you work with in your department who only works as hard as everyone else. And when you got that over-the-top guy and suddenly he's pushing everybody and you got that guy who only works as hard as everyone else, suddenly he's like raising an eyebrow over there like, what's up with this? Why are we working so hard all of a sudden? Yeah, yeah, I understand. I'm with you. But why why, why we got to try so hard? <laughs> <laughs> That's where the worm gets on this, and then he gets straight spiteful. <laughs> right, and he gets straight dealt with, right? Because he goes to the weaver and says, hey, working hard tonight? And the weaver goes, yeah, you too. It puts him in the web and wh- whack, wraps him up, B. Wrap it up. You sat still too long. We got spiders, and the worm's stuck, right? That's it. And the worm goes, joke's on you. I've been waiting on my villain speech, right? Because they ask directly, right? Little John Fox is like, well, doesn't the worm have the power to name? And they're like, no, absolutely not. Worm does not, but all he can do is corrupt. And who we do, who does he corrupt? Humans. Specifically, they say humans. Back to that whole theory Nick has. Yeah. Not so tinfoil hat. When you look at it that way, it's like, oh, mankind's bad. And now you begin to understand, why was there an impergium? Why did they deal with that? You had a lot of people that were running around fitting to name things that shouldn't have been naming things. Right? And we had to curb that, too. They even point out to a darker time after that, because after the Weaver was getting around to webbing and doing, uh, they don't necessarily name time, because as the elders point out, time wasn't invented just yet, but everything happens at the same time. 
Now, why can that be? We're back to the Axis Monday. Remember, all things were together until they were all defined and rolled out on the tapestry of the universe. How you sidestep, if you recall? Same concept as to why that's not so crazy that he said that, right? And says that because you're supposed to call back to it. Well, this all happened at the same. And so if it all happened at the same, they immediately get into the fact that during the Industrial Revolution, there was a great war because the Industrial Revolution meant the weaver had the whole world wrapped in its cocoon. And we were going to lose the spirit world forever, which means the spirits were going to go dormant and be either webbed or worm food. That's it. And the guru got together and finally decided to do their purpose. And even they kind of say it like that. Like the guru, what was what that would pass for them, this, like they're really chiding their ancestors. Like they couldn't believe they let it get this bad. Finally decided, well, we're going to tear open uh, this webbing. And they did it worldwide, right? Every guru area, pretty much my guess is where the great cairns are. Most likely it lines up. Have that war, win that ground, and stop the weaver from total dominion, right? The egg is prevented is how they stage it. But why is it relevant to you to know that as a storyteller or player? Because when we think of Werewolf the Apocalypse, there is levity that could be in there. There is, there is brevity. There is, there is relief you can have in comedy. But there's a section in here that I don't agree with the author in, only because I am a serious hobbyist, I like to call it. And sometimes I can miss the finer points of fun. And there is humor in having some games, especially if it's beer and pretzel intended, where you're going to run into Wolverine, the spirit of Wolverine in a bar, and you're going to kick back a few brews, right? Where he's going to talk to you about his adamantium teeth and his claws right. and the world. I was going to say, right. I, I read that in the media. I was just like, yeah, he's just going to, it was a bub. Come on, right? You do that immediately. Well, now you're going to get somebody where they talk about Mosquito. Mosquito likes to gossip. And I'm like, I'm with you there. But yep. Mosquito's just going to come and talk to me. That's what the buzzing is. And if you're a theorist, you can hear it. And it's telling you stories and secrets yep. of everybody. And yep. I went... Yeah, that's a little cartoonish. But then I sat there and went, can I write that better? And I did. I was able to. And to me, with Mosquito, I say write it better. I mean, I'm saying what I would use the tool for. He kind of lets you do whatever, right? But to me, Mosquito wouldn't be something that talked to you. It's a buzzing insect. Remember, they say the nature of a spirit is what it is. But to know its true name is important. And to me, if a spirit has a true name, it is far more intelligent than just mere buzzing. But it would not use your words for communication right? I'm going with the nature of it. If we're going to go through the trouble of naming and confining something and give it a purpose, we don't want it to act out of its purpose. We want to teach the theorist to be able to communicate to the spirit on its own, on its own too. So to me, a mosquito only wants to talk to you if it can get blood from you. It's there for a purpose. Now, in this case, blood could be gnosis or it could be actual blood. It could be both. And it lands on you and feeds. But in that feeding, that transition of when it touches you and takes the blood, you can get a sensation or a view or a vision of what it meant and intended. And as the theorist that you are, remember, Axis Mundi, you understand the world tree and the shamanistic aspect of this. You gain an instinctual understanding of what it was trying to tell you. And a good storyteller's going to love you is, is Mosquito's wisdom is as much as you can have that lotion to stop the itch, right? Because it brings you home of what you're playing. It's a nature spirit. That's what it's there for, and it's of both worlds because it understands you. And in that, you understand Mosquito. It brings you closer to the animal. So too Wolverine. You can have Wolverine be the beer guzzling thing, or as I would do it, why not you have the totem of Wolverine, and when your rage gets too high and your pack decides they're going to take it easy tonight and go to the bar, Wolverine 
grabs you, like, out of nowhere, tackles you in the umbra and starts fighting you. Like, it's, it's going to kill you. And you don't know why. And you're asking Great Wolverine to stop, and it's coming at your ankles. It's coming at your thighs. It's coming at your hamstrings. It's looking to tear you up. And you have to use that rage to fight it and battle it to near exhaustion. And when you collapse to the ground, Wolverine just comes up and licks your face a little bit and walks away in the umbra. Now, why did that happen? And the Arun should get it. The Arun should walk out and go, I... <laughs> I was a little too pissed off, and I, f- I forgot. I really owe that totem a lot, right? Why? The lesson's there. Use that rage and know how to cool cool it off to get rid of it. Otherwise, what happens if he goes to the bar and he sits there? Well, in this lesson, Wolverine is though also the mentor, not just the totem. He's a mentor to that Aurum. Yep. And that, that could be cool, right? It could be a way to do it. And the player's understanding immersion, remember, the immersion of it and the attached relationship, yeah, I'm Wolverine's kid. That's what it's like. And because that's the truth. When a spirit creates a bond with a person because they honor the chiminage and they make a pact with that totem and they're going to be with that totem and, and, and you know, revere what the totem does and they strengthen each other, you're family, right? You're part of the brood practically to what that totem's going to see it as. Well, guess what? It has a big family. If Wolverine likes you, everyone above is going to like you. Because you're bringing name to it, right? You're bringing that renown to your deeds and you're living as Wolverine wanted you to and you're being badass. And so that builds up in the respect for the totems there. That's the part that this book breaks down in layered format that you can miss if you're going to go, oh, cool, black unicorns in here. We'll just use that. Let's flip through the other stuff. And, and it's unfortunate, man. Like, uh, it, I'll be 100% honest with you. The, the part where they break down really how important it is to have that, that relationship between why the spirits work with the guru. Because at the end of the day, the only way that the spirits have any effect in the material world whatsoever is through the guru. That's their only facet of, of ever affecting anything. The two of them work together in, in, in tandem because the spirits gift them with the abilities of the spirit world, and they, in fact, uh, or they, in turn, then direct the uh, their effects on the world that the spirits would would prefer if they hadn't been shut out by the gauntlet. That's that's the tandem relationship that happens there, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a handshake in the in the in the back of the room, you know, like shady deal going on. <laughs> you know, if you give me this, I give you that. It, it'll more then breaks down that this this should be uh, a relationship that can be tenuous a lot of the times because spirits are spiritual in nature and you know like they can be mercurial at at best and the and and it's very easy to offend them and not even know why they have entire positions in uh in in uh you know guru society that's meant to determine why Wolverine attacked you in a bar that night because you're too thick to get it and then, and then eventually the lessons learned, you know, with discussion, with perspective, with, with, with different things, because at all, at every point, you know, you're just not communicating on the same level, but once that wisdom's gained, then it's, it, it's irreplaceable. And really what it comes down to is that spirits are wizened beings after all. And that's the point of them, right? They know wizened? things. Wizened? That's wizened? A, that's how it is. And so with, with the spirits in of himself, though, they break them down into what they could do categorically. So if you couldn't understand like what we're trying to be immersive with and explain where they come from as children of Gaia, some of you might have went, that's a tribe, isn't it? You're not wrong. 
I think it could be a little confusing unless you understand and jump on board all are of Gaia. And that's what it comes from. Even that tribe will tell you that's why they took their name. But mm-hmm. what are spirits also can be said, they do have a nature. Know a spirit by its nature. It's its most obvious purpose. For instance, the spirit of a fox is a fox spirit, but that is only telling its nature. And it's most likely to tell you only how it behaves. But you have to remember, it's also this wise being. It's definitely there and has its own purpose. And it also, not all fox spirits are the same, although all fox spirits are a part of the brood. Right? They're all family. So this is important, right? Your relationship with one fox will carry over to the others. They'll tell them. They talk in those foxholes. And that's the important thing. Now, <laughs> got each stories. One of, exactly. Each one of them has their own true name. That's right. This is forgotten a lot. Other supplements don't even bring this up. But this, this sits here. They don't ever say that it's not true. But simple fact is, is that guy gave them a name. Not just a nature purpose, a name. Like... Nick, he's a bear. Nick's an important bear. Now, somewhere you're just going to say that's the brown bear, Garal, who everybody sees walking around doing its thing. But if I know his name's Nick, suddenly that brown bear isn't just a brown bear. I could pick him out of a pet, out of a group. And that brown bear is going to come over and Nick's going to be like, hey, man, can you not use my name? But what'd you need? And I'd be like, ah, I'm a human. I get to name stuff. So I'm going to call you. Man, I'm going to keep my name. That was the deal, human. Human Bob. <laughs> I know your name. It's real out in these streets. Quit throwing my name around. (laughs) Exactly, right? And that's kind of humorously how they actually put this out here because that name is a a spiritual component of a spirit. Now, why is it important? Because there are materials that tie to what a spirit is. And you people forget this all the time, right? I don't even think it was even thought of because it's not iron concrete mentioned in places or it's briefly almost hand-waved. When they talk about ties to the material world, when you typically hear about spirits, you do think, isn't there supposed to be a ritual where I could like use a symbol of them? And isn't there like a phonetic thing or something cool? There's all these occult symbols for a reason. There are. And you're right. And if you think pictograms from back in the day, we were using these forever in a day to describe the elements, the sun, the moon, the stars, everything. Let, let's talk about what we're really talking about, though. Like names, names are names, but names are names are more than names. Right, because the entire sub, uh, well, we'll call them spheres, dedicated to to this, and we, and we call it correspondence. Really, what it is 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 this is uh, just one aspect of many aspects that determines the very nature of a spirit that can be used to better understand that spirit entirely. It's like um, it, it it's it's interesting ways to like paid chiminage to a spirit right so if you got an eagle spirit and you decide that you're going to do a dance to represent the way that the eagle hunts and 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 different stuff like that you'll catch the attention of that spirit it's it's a correspondence to it it's an understanding of it its ways and how it is i I think the true name the true name is is no different than that it's just another aspect of uh of a better understanding of that spirit so you're saying it's correspondence by definition not necessarily the sphere well, I, I would go by the sphere as well. I would say spirit more fits that. For a true name, no. Oh, true absolutely. name, I would definitely say correspondence. Now, why is that? Because, and, I, and the only reason I have it, we'll have it out now. The spirit sphere way more puts a connection of the mage to the umbra, the nature of a spirit and what it is, far more than what correspondence would be, which is placement. Like but correspondence, uh, correspondence is 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 very direct and correspondence doesn't necessarily have to mean the spirit also we can talk about like the 
um uh what is it called uh uh it, between uh like with with magical components it's like correspondence okay so you're saying material components relate to a spirit based on that like you could use them because this symbol is actually a piece of in a way of looking at it of what the actual spirit is yeah it, that as well and and i i find the true name to be the exact same way um in in that aspect of it and I, and I it's like a it. I it's like a symbolic connection directly to it i only challenge that and the only way i challenge it is because how is knowing the location space of time and their relations to that in reality help a spiritual entity and you knowing what that is location space and time are just uh individual aspects but also um it's very uh the very connection to it it's um uh, I know there's a, there's a word. No, there's a word, it, and it's it's prime. on the tip of my you tongue. Say prime, which is the energy. No, 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 no. This is specific to blood magic. Ah, uh, right, but that's where you'd be wrong. If you're using blood magic, you're off. Tail. Well, it, it's the same idea. It's the same idea. Interesting that you say that. Now I'm going to leave that for a different topic between you and I, because I'm not trying to rank anybody out uh, on a podcast talking about excess money, and I don't want to discourage, but. Uh, we'll, we'll leave that where it is. But we will simply say uh, that this book highlights that the spirit sphere is what mages use to best understand what goes on in the spirit world. Connections to all things, including true names of spirits. So that's where I'm getting that from. It does mention correspondence and definition in relations to things here. And I, I could see in, in a way that you're talking about that there, that there are certain items, because they say that, material components that relate specifically to where spirit might have been created. For instance, a tree spirit. If it's made and created somewhere, it gets a name. Correspondence could help with that. You know where the tree is. You also would know where the spiritual connection is to that. That's two avenues to the same thing. I'm with you. I'm on the ball with that. Uh, right, but, right. It's a, you know, because you can obviously use like uh, material things like that. If it's a, if it's a cedar tree, you know, you can use like a, a cedar weave for, you know, like a rite of summoning and, and so on and so forth. You know, different material components that, ah, uh, uh, there is a. There's uh, let's let's stop the me. ramble bramble you got going on, bro. <laughs> let's get off it. I see you trying to work it out. There ain't no workout. Let's, I, let's I know you know what it is, and I know you're holding I, I, it out on I, me. I, I, I'm not holding anything out on you, sir. I let you do your thing. <laughs> I wouldn't do that to you, Nick. Right? We're recorded here. I would not do that to you. I'm doing it to him. But the point is, is that uh, uh, what we have going on here is they got taboos. Well, let me, let me run down this list again because we got a little sidetracked. The nature of a spirit's given, but the important part is its true name, right? So if you're a theorist listening now of how to deal with spirits or an ST trying to portray this, they want you to know the nature, but the nature is only part of the mystery because the true name will give an idea, right? There's history there in a true name. There's power in a true name. And so just like mentioning any, any old spirit, right? I used fox as an example. Um, it gets a little different if that fox has a name and it's responsible for atrocities that it's done. Not all fox spirits have done that, but that might be a way guru hear of it. A fox acting outside of its nature is doing some things and they don't know why to go investigate that. But in that legend of folklore, what if people have understood that there's been a particular nasty fox spirit in these lands for some time? Because some farmer a long time ago used to hunt more than he should have. Foxes that, you know, defending his coop or whatever. The, whatever story you want to make up for that. But this fox is a particularly bad spirit fox that's out there doing that. And that's one way the guru might go to write the name of fox who didn't want to be known as this monstrous thing and the unbrewed hears about it and you know, you're tasked to go deal with it. Why? Cause what if 
Fox Emulate is a totem for your group, right? This is personal, right? You got to take family, takes care of family, right? And that's how that would go down. And that's one way. The other thing is also taboos make spirits unique in here that they highlight, right? Limitations to keep the spirit on the track for Gaia's purposes. Part of the naming is not just, aha, I know your name. So you, now, you, now you can't do all the stuff you did. It's no, I, I was confined, right? There is a reason I'm put here and Gaia told me what my purpose is and I have to go do that. And there's certain things I can, I have to do or I won't do. Maybe a combo of both. And I kind of dance around with those things uh, to showcase what the spirit's for and what they're all about. And ideally what they will always be about. And you see this makeup, future supplements do this automatically. They're not going to tell you here's the taboo of the spirit unless it gets in a totemic form. Right? I almost drop these off so they could just say, here's the spirit. You do what you're going to do with it. Have fun. And we'll talk about that later. But in this book, and I prefer this method, the taboos actually give quirks. They, they let it kind of spring to life. They make the theorists feel like they know something that others don't. Right? And I this book highlights that, that if you're not a theorist region reading this book, sure, you can know a spirit, you're a guru. But I'd only take it so far. But this is nuances to add to a theorist toolkit to help them be even more immersed. Right? And we went over the ties of the spirit world, and that works, but there's also spiritual ties as well that one can throw in. Um, spirit representations uh, in the Umbra for it, and those pretty much correspond, <laughs> just to use the word, uh, with what Nick was talking about, material points. Um, do the same thing. The same method can be applied. And the book highlights a lot of them. And to talk further about the book and uh, beyond this is just to let you know that you're going to get a profile list of a daunting nature in here, of every spirit tribal spirit that they could throw and chuck in here to give you hours of fun there are even sections that aren't tribal spirits or aren't nature spirits and they call them others right they'll get into those they get into a piff you know the the hierarchy system which other than us telling you a definition of it crack this book it's actually better that you do crack this book to see those rankings not because we don't want to you know I just want to lessen the burden of having to sit here and go, I know what incarnate is. I know what a gaffling is. I know what a jaggling is. What an epiphling is. We, it's their terminology and terminology is kind of dry to hear. And it's better delivered when they tell you, look at this totem. This totem is powerful, but what the players get as a pack totem is not the incarnate that it represents, right? It's part of the family, the brood of that incarnate that was given power, but that's not what your pack totem is. However, your pack totem gains, the better and more inf or more famous that you get with your renown, the stronger uh, your pack totem can get. And that's that's great to know and add to it. And that's the culmination of what's in this book, really, is the relationship of the spirits we've done so far. Nick, sir. It, it should be mentioned that the, uh, the write-ups that they do do with the spirits in here are the best I've seen to date. They do talk pretty heavily about chiminage, attitudes different correspondences, habitats, gift lore, like all the things you normally don't get on a spirit that is the cool background for your storyteller to really build a good personality and, and, and depth and perception to these to these spirits that are in here. So don't sleep on it. It's not just a list of spirits. It's cool. And I, and I would argue that getting this book, even though you get the updated ones as well, um, again, there are seeds in here that don't carry to the next. Right, because they streamline it. They make it better, easier to understand and whatnot. And let's face it, the first storytellers of the materials you get, there's a lot you got to sift through. So we partly help with that, right? We go through and just kind of make it quick. Here's, here's what you need to remember because we kind of know in advance 
some of this stuff's going to be kind of downplayed, altered, or altogether left out. But they may have a hallmark to it or an Easter egg throwback or whatever. That's why we call it seeding. Uh, but this more this wraps up this book, really. Um, once you get to that and understand that it's, it's basically about the broods of spirits and relationships from a theurge perspective. That's what's cool about it. Um, I will add a final note. It is cool to listen to little John Fox deal with the deal with the elders and why I want that. I want you to read that. Please go through and read that section. It's fun. It's fun to hear the crazy stories that they try to use for alternate versions. Because if you're anybody who sat back and just add, you can ask five different guru players that aren't at the same game, right? Different troops, what they think the triad's like. That's the worm weaver and wild. And, and yep. ask them what they get from that. You're going to get different answers, right? Yep. Different answers entirely. It's like, if you notice, the triads refer to the worm weaver and wild, but they don't mention Gaia in that. Well, why is that? Mm-hmm. Well, because Gaia made them, right? But some people will tell you, no, she didn't. There's no way that happened. Okay. If she didn't, then who made Gaia once her point in relevance, right? That, that's what you get to. But it's fair because there's some tribes that do kind of fudge that, that do kind of mess that around. And that's kind of what makes Werewolf awesome is because this shamanistic approach gives you something to chew on, but it's to chew on. This is not saying card carrying. This is canon law. And how you know that is the story itself is told to get little John Fox to think about the stories. Cause little John Fox pretty much sounds like a player. What, what do you, mean, it Mark? actually, uh, it ties into my favorite part of, of that entire story. It, it's when he kind of like sits there and he's like, I don't know if I, if I subscribe to all this stuff. Like, uh, I'm more of a science guy myself. I, I prefer science based and the entire crowd turns on him instantly. Almost like the authors just like wound up the big slap came from left field and smacked him across the face just to let both little John Fox and the players reading this book know your world does not apply here. Everything you think is reality is out the window. The rules have been broken. And it has to be done that way. And, and why? Just remember what I said. The Garden of Eden has a lot of similarities to the story they tell in here. And the spirits themselves. This naming? Um, you got to remember, angels in, in uh, Christianity, and particularly Catholicism, were intelligent beings of their own free will that go around and name everything. And in another way, they're considered the weaver. right? You could just simply call them the weaver. And they have the same issues, right? And they're thought to have gone mad. That's another excuse for the fall happens, right? Oh, Lucy's War, where he stands up and says, I will not be patriarch by you, Michael. And he's like, yeah, well, get the <laughs> F out. And then he waits for God to say no. And God doesn't say anything. And Michael's like, yeah, I got my phallus. You want me to fight you in my phallus? And oh, Lucy's like, let me tell you what I would do. But I'm going to go down here and have fun, punk. And walks away. And Michael's like, well, every one of you that prefers her cake party over mine, you're going to go to a very bad place. You're not going to get out, right? We know that story, right? We've all heard it in various ways. This is like a weird take on it because it's throwing a callback to say, what if some of these stories are right and nobody understands them fully? And people, some have used it for manipulative tools and the retelling. Other people just adding something to make sense of it because they can't figure it out for themselves because nothing's coming up and saying, yeah, this is what happened. Well, that's where we enter. The most important aspect in the world of darkness that all the authors have held to, that, that people forget about, is they say, what's important is not what's in this book. It is you who buy the book. You determine in your own world of darkness what sticks and what doesn't. And what we do is we write that or we create that window 
that you agree to open and step through and join the world as as given, or you decide to take a big old mallet and shatter that window and create your own window pane from the pieces and make your own perception of it to have fun where you're at. And therefore, you're the most important aspect, right? And that's who they're writing for, and that's who they're trying to get to be creative. When you try to demonize any author for writing any bit of good for that, you're damaging your own brand. It's that simple. You're, you're putting them in a confined area and creativity can't be contained. However, it can be delivered with respect. And so that's what I will tell you is I do respect that there are there needs to be attention drawn to certain things. And I would even add that to this book written in its time, I have all due forgiveness for it. I don't agree that it was done out of hate or any malicious intent whatsoever. I do see that there may be a strong need for if we're going to go this deep and this heavy into uh, Native American stories or a feel that we actually, you know, do dive in and use that you know, Native Americans, you know, get their take of how to deliver the story to make it part of them to even mention it would be nice to talk about where these origin stories might have come from. And some of them might be close. Right. And let that breathe a little and have fun with that and, and bring that in would be interesting. I know I'm curious, but at the same time, I'm a history buff and I'm probably less than a percent of all the people that play the game. Some folks just want to have a game, not attend a history class. And that's where this book was written. And it's perfectly okay that it was written that way. Thanks, everybody. Uh, remember, uh, next week, uh, we're giving you two back-to-back. It's going to finish out Rec Room Rome, and we're going to get that done in and get that out to you guys. And then we'll hear you again. Werewolf will be in January uh, that we'll get at this point. Uh, thanks for listening. Thank you, Nick, as always. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to our 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast. If you liked what you heard, please reach out and let us know on Twitter at 25 years of VTM at our email info at 25 years VTM.com on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash 25 years VTM or on our website www.25yearsvtm.com. If you would like to support us, we can be found at patreon.com slash 25 years of vampire the masquerade.